here's the thing. Uh, both services this morning were fully subscribed. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad about that. You know, we can only fit so many people in here. We're all spread out. We wish we were closer together. Sorry about that. And, uh, but, you know, I think we're going to have to work out a way to get more people in here on a Sunday. And so this week there's actually a board meeting Tuesday. It's very timely. And uh, we'll, we'll have to either think about another service or perhaps uh, an overflow space or something like that. So, um, you know, the last thing I want is for people who want to be here on a Sunday and can't. So we, we're going to work that out, okay, I, I promise you. But like Pastor Steve said, you, can't, you kind of want to get your tickets early, you know, because you might miss out. So uh, do that after the sermon, after the service this morning. Um, this Wednesday night is the last Wednesday in February. It's our month of prayer and fasting, and I invite you to come along to that. If you haven't been to one already, we would love to have you here. What did I say wrong? <laughs> It feels like we're still in February. <laughs> Nothing changed, right? No, heaps of things changed. Anyway, in July. I said February because we normally have a month of prayer and fasting in February. But we're also having one in July. So please come along if you can. If you haven't been to one already, we would love to see you there. So we are in week eight of this series in James called More Than Words. And when I say more than words, I know that you, you, you've been following me along with this, I hope. But there's this thread through James through all of James, that he's asking us to consider our life, you know, uh, our actions, our deeds. Do they reflect our stated belief in Jesus? You know, the words where we say out loud, yes, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of, of his, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And James says, that's good that you're acknowledging that, but your life should reflect it. Because if it doesn't, something's not right. You know, it, it, it should uh, reflect the holiness that he calls us to. It should mirror his life in, in, in many ways. Because according to James, saying we follow Jesus and worshipping him on Sunday, but not seeing the, evi- the evidence on a Monday, you know, how we love people and how we, we live for him, that's, you know, he says that's not, it's not really faith, is it? If we're just saying it here, but not meaning it here, and not doing it with our hands and our feet and our, and our actions, it's just words, and words are cheap. Jesus says in Matthew 7, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that's taught in the law and the prophets. You know, the, I like that word, essence. It's, it's what, we're, it's what the faith, what faith in Jesus is all about. It's, you know, it's the vanilla essence, isn't it? You know, the little tiny drop that makes its way through your baking, so you know it's there. It's the underlying basis of, of who we are as, as followers. And, and Jesus is saying, well, the essence is actually how I love other people. You know, that's really where the rubber hits the road. That's really where we can see the evidence of the faith we're saying from here. It's how we love other people. It should be in our character, our nature. And, and, you know, usually it's the people around us every day that they can see it, can't they? Or, or not, I guess you could say as well. Our actions either preach the gospel, or can I say the opposite of that might be that maybe our actions might undermine the gospel. If you're proclaiming to be a Christian and your actions aren't preaching the gospel, it's doing something else. So I asked the question this week, do the people... This is the same question I've asked every week. Do the people around me know that I love Jesus? 
through how they encounter me, you know, how they receive me. Can they see it? Can they feel it? Do they experience it and not just hear us say it? Because they must. The people around us must experience Jesus through us. And if they're not, James is calling us to seriously consider, you know, why is there this disconnect between a stated belief and our actions? Because if there is a, a disconnect, you can't read James without seeing it in there. He says, that kind of faith, it's probably not really faith. He uses the word dead. It's a dead faith. Today we're moving on to chapter 4. And, you know, I'm keen to hear more from James. How about you guys? Anyone hungry today to hear from James? Good. Because he's been shaping me as I've been preaching it, and I hope that he's been shaping you as you've been receiving it. So we're in verse 1 of chapter 4. Follow along with me on the screen behind, or on the TV at home if you're watching from home. Welcome to you. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Now, kill seems like a bit extreme, doesn't it? Like, I, I don't know if there's anyone in here that's guilty of that. You can put your hand up if you are. <laughs> Got some ex-police officers here. But it seems a bit extreme. But just, I, I know what James is saying. Sometimes we can destroy people. You know, not physically kill them, but we may destroy people. Or you may have been on the receiving end of that yourself, perhaps. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. That's a, that's a common verse, right? But you've got to keep reading. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You, you want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? He's not saying friends with people, loving people. You know what he means, right, when he says friendship with the world. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done this is the humility, repenting, mourning. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. It's, it's a call to repentance there at the end. To be sorry for, for the things we've done against God and against others. It's, it's the humble position before God to, to recognize our need for him. You know, we need a saviour. We need Jesus. But you, I don't know if you can't pick it up when you read that in James. There's just a little frustration creeping in there. Did you pick up on that? Pretty, some pretty harsh words. You know, he, I, don't, I don't know how he goes being the pastor of a church, but he'd probably be a good guest speaker, I'd imagine. Because uh, he'd be leaving straight after he says these things, right? Although he's writing to a church he's probably not the pastor of, so he gets away with it. 
But he is seeing things and hearing things, and he's saying, this doesn't align with the faith that Jesus left us. So he, he, he writes this letter, and he has to use some strong words of correction sometimes. And there's a lot of directions I can take this passage today, but I hear James saying that there is a difference between someone who is loyal to Christ and one who is loyal to the world. Or perhaps you, you could say loyal to just their, their own desires. I think that's the way I see it when, when the, the Bible often says that you're, you're following the world. It means I'm following what I want. You know, me, 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 me. That's, that's kind of, I think, what he's trying to say. And he chastises his readers in verse 8, and maybe yesterday when he says, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And so the title of my sermon today is called Divided Loyalty. It's asking us to consider if we have it. Is it a divided loyalty? You know, I always thought that loyalty was an important part of Australian culture. You know what I mean? But in late 2018, Australia had seven changes of prime minister in just 10 years. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And if memory serves me correctly, only two of those changes were brought on by us, the voters, and all those other changes were by their own people, our elected representatives, the people most elevated in Australian society. They showed us that perhaps loyalty, maybe it's not as strong in our culture as it once was or that we think it was anyway. And, you know, in some ways it saddens me. I know some politicians stuck to their loyalties through those stages. I think there was a good documentary on the ABC called The Killing Fields, if my memory serves me correctly, which describes it really well, right, what happened here. I'm talking about both sides of the political divide. Sadly, some people are only looking at it from, for, you know, from the position of what's in it for me. You know, they weren't, the loyalty seems to have gone. Now, loyalty in of itself is probably best defined as, as a devotion or a commitment to someone, or maybe it's an organisation, you know, someone who's earned it, I suppose you could say. I've got some good quotes that I found on loyalty just to help us today, just for a little bit of fun. There's this great one from Mark Twain on that same theme of government. It says, loyalty to the country always, loyalty to the government when it deserves it. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Jerry Lewis says, I have a loyalty that runs in my bloodstream when I lock into someone or something, you can't get me away from it because I commit to that thoroughly. That's in friendship, that's a deal, that's a commitment. Don't give me paper, I can get the same lawyer who drew it up to break it, but if you shake my hand, that's for life. I like that. Good on you, Jerry. Gary Moore, he was an old musician, he says, a loyal friend is someone who walks into a room when everyone else is walking out. And I love what Tolkien says, Faithless is he who says farewell when the road darkens. You know, I'll just give you those quotes to help us just think a little bit about what loyalty might be about. But let's be honest. Sometimes people in organisations, they don't really deserve our loyalty, you know, particularly if someone's broken trust with us. Now, that doesn't mean that person doesn't deserve our love and our compassion. But loyalty is something that you know, we kind of choose to give a little bit. It's based on respect and trust, and that is exactly why Jesus deserves our unswerving loyalty. Do you like that word, unswerving? It means we don't deviate. It's a loyalty where we stay true and straight. If there's one person in this world who deserves our complete loyalty, it's Jesus Christ. Let me put it another way. If I had a list of criteria that guided where my loyalties would lie, 
you know, if it was the strictest of criteria, someone who has done the utmost for me, who has proved their love over and over, who has never failed me, has never let me down, and never will, who has taken me back when I've let them down, who is worthy and deserving, who owes me nothing and yet still provides everything I need, who is completely faithful, who is all-wise and all-knowing and yet walks with me every single day, it's Jesus. And every other person kind of doesn't measure up to that. He is the one who has done the most. He is the one who proved his love for me in a way that nobody else can. Jesus is the one who gave up that, you know, his whole life, the Bible says, because he loved me. That Jesus. And he asks for it fully in return. He deserves my loyalty and yours. And he asks for it in return. And he deserves it. We don't deserve his loyalty, yet he still gives it. That's, that's the grace that he shows. You know, when we become a Christian, put our faith in Jesus, we commit completely to him, and all our loyalty went over to him. It kind of went off me. I'm still loyal to myself, obviously, but, you know, about my desires, and it went to his. My loyalty is with my king. In the passage we just read, it gave a bunch of examples of what disloyalty the king might look like. This, you know, James tends to do this. These are the bad things as examples to us of what disloyalty might look like. So he mentions fighting and disunity, you know, in our relationships with each other and, and within the church. You know, it's always sad when that happens, but it's actually a sign of disloyalty to the king because he calls us to something different, you know, to be different to the world when it comes to how we do disagreements and how we do conflict. Those things are inevitable, by the way. He doesn't say in the Bible that those things can't happen, but how we do them, it's very, very important to God. And when we do it the wrong way, it shows a disloyalty. He also mentioned in that passage we read, giving in to, to evil desires or to our own selfish desires. He mentioned scheming to fulfill those same desires, you know, sitting around scheming about how I can get these, this thing to happen my way. He mentioned jealousy over what others have. Another word for that is envy. He mentioned uh, failing to ask God what he wants for us instead of us always praying what we want for us. You know, he's saying, how about being loyal to me and what I want? In other words, disloyalty sounds a lot like putting me ahead of God. When life is all about me instead of others and instead of what God wants, it, it can lead to a divided loyalty. And I noticed that there was no mention, by the way, in his list of not reading the scriptures or uh, no mention of not coming to church on Sunday. Those things are good and help us to, to be uh, connected to God. Obviously, we need them. They're very important. I've preached on them many, many times. But, you know, as usual, James is he's getting us to review inwardly what's happening here. When you read his book slowly, it's not surface level. He's saying, what is the condition of our heart? Because that's where we can tell where our loyalties lie. So I've got three things for us to take home today. The first one is this. Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus. In uh, 1 John 5, so just leaving James for a second, John says, Dear children, that's us, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. 
anything that might take the place of God in our hearts. John says, keep away. I've actually got this verse on, stuck to the whiteboard in my office as a reminder to me. It's a simple command. The question is, what are the things that grab our heart you know, above God or take the place of him? You know, what are the things in your life that compete with the loyalty to Jesus? I'm going to ask him some filter questions. I've been doing this throughout James some weeks, right, to help us think along these lines about the things that might take that place. Do I tend to dwell on material possessions in the pursuit of pleasure above my passion for the presence of God? So, you know, what I'm not saying is that you can't have nice things in life. I'm not saying that. But sometimes we fall in love with them above God. And if they're taking the place of him in here, John says, keep away. Do I find myself often dreaming of ways to make more and more money? More than I dream about God's calling for me and his plan for me. Again, making money is okay. And thinking of ways to do it is definitely okay too, but it can grab us, can't it? It it can take the place of God. Am I captivated by things that transform my mind away from the things of God Social media, YouTube, TV, Netflix, all the ones that I tend to do. (laughs) How much time do I give those things that have a tendency to compete with God's place in my life and and in my heart? You know, I I know I've mentioned those ones many times in my sermons. I think we just got to keep reminding ourselves that they have a tendency to grab us. So ask yourself that question this morning. You know, those are the easy things that we can admit to. But what about the things we don't like admitting to out loud? You know, pornography, gambling, excessive drinking, gossip, lying, cheating, those ones, you know, those secret sins. They all transform our mind in the wrong direction too. They all lead to a gap appearing between us and God and generally lead to many other difficult areas in our life. They take the place in our heart where God should be. John says... Just keep away from those things. I've got one more. Am I in a group or a place that's influencing me rather than me influencing them? I I say, if that's happening, if they're influencing you in the wrong direction, follow John's advice and keep away until you're mature enough to not be influenced. Now, obviously, I'm a big fan of the Great Commission to go into the world and make disciples, you know. It's part of our, uh, our mission statement. That's what we're about. But can I just say, we should do that together, and we should always spend time gathering to re-equip, to pray, to worship, and encourage each other, and strengthen, and then go again. That's why I think the church is just so important. In my opinion, we're missionaries from Monday to Saturday, and the missionaries gather again on Sunday. It's a time for us to refresh and inspire and worship and encourage each other. The point I'm trying to make about this is you just got to be, be, be wise and have accountability as you go into the world. The people that you, are, uh, um, that you are with, it's important that you do that, that we don't just stay in our bubble. We have to get out there, but we have to be careful. 
that we're influencing that culture and the culture isn't influencing us. Is everyone following what I'm saying? Maybe I should do it again. <laughs> Steve, is everyone with us? Okay, good. These are the questions. All those questions can help us think about our heart and if we're being loyal to the kingdom. And if any of them are a problem for us, John says, keep, keep away. Number two, God is passionate about your loyalty to him. This is exciting. Verse five, we're back in James now. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Now, when I looked into this verse, I did a little squeeze into my commentary because it was a little bit hard to understand at first and the, the writer was saying, this is actually very hard to interpret a verse in Greek that was originally written. And in some translations, you might see those words just written a little bit different. The meaning might feel a little bit different. But I actually think the NLT got this right. God is passionate about our loyalty to him. So much so, he poured his Holy Spirit into us to give us the guidance and the power to do as he is asking us to do. He just doesn't leave us to our own devices. Church, he, he wants you to love him with all your heart and all your soul and mind and strength. Right? He wants that. He's passionate about that. He's passionate about your loyalty to him. And so he gave, you, gave us his spirit. This is the important thing. We're not left to our own strength. You know, I think this was the problem for me in my teenage years. Growing up, I don't know if I wasn't listening, probably the case, but I, all I heard a lot of time was, Nathan, you've got to do good, you've got to do better. And that was the message I got, and inevitably I'd fail and see myself as a, as a failure over and over again. You know, I desperately wanted to live all in for Jesus, and the teaching all around me, seems it just seemed to be do better. Do better. Now, I'm not saying that was the teaching all around me. I probably just didn't listen properly. But somehow I missed the teaching on how much the Holy Spirit was available for me, how passionate God was for me to live that way that he wanted me to, to, to how passionately he wanted me to love him and he loved me in return. You know, it's in there. It's in the scripture. He gives me the power to actually do that. If I could think of a, an illustration, I was trying to think of one last night. It was like riding up a mountain doing all the hard work and then getting to the top or not getting to the top and failing and realizing that you're on an electric bike and you just had to hit that switch and you've got that extra boost of power. I hope that that illustration works. You'll probably think of all the reasons why it doesn't, but just hear what I'm saying. God is concerned for your love and loyalty to him. He gave you his Holy Spirit. If you feel like the Holy Spirit in you has very little power, I say stop the really hard pedaling, stop the striving and just be with him. You know, work out how to turn on that electric motor, if you know what I mean. Ask him to fill you and empower you and take over all those areas that take the place of God in your heart, which brings me to my final point. Loyalty starts and ends with drawing close to God. I hope you saw that in there when we read through. Let me, I'm just going to read the last four verses again, okay? He gives grace generously. That's what the scriptures say. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Some translations say draw close. NLT says come close to God. 
and God will come close to you. And then he goes on from there about purifying our hearts and being loyal to him and being humble. It's humble yourself. In other words, let's kill off the arrogance and pride in our hearts, see our desperate need for God. Let's just surrender to him fully. He opposes the proud. That's what it says. You know, if there's pride here, it'll always be a struggle to, be, to draw close to God. But he is bigger than that pride, church. You know, nothing is impossible for our God. He can overcome it. Sort of, you remember a series a couple of years ago, I'd say it every week. Jesus is not just the destination. He is the means to that destination. Let's deal with pride first. Be humble. Draw close to God. No more divided loyalties. God first. God first in my life. The promise is he will draw close to you. Isn't that a great promise? He can't not draw close to you if you... It's in the word. God doesn't lie. You, you pull in close to God. Maybe I'll keep using the bike analogy for a second. Pull in next to God. Ooh. Maybe he grabs on and attaches to your bike. And we're going up that hill together. Forget the electric motor. Actually, don't. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the electric motor. God crawls in beside you. We're going up together. Draw close to him. Where is your loyalties today? Is it divided or is it all in for Jesus? Let no person ever wonder or question your loyalties to God because of how they see you and receive you and your actions. If you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Why don't we pray together? Let's draw close right now. I know, church, just as you close your eyes and bow your heads, I, I know there's been a lot of distractions in the world lately, like a lot, and in your life, things that I probably don't even know about. Right now, though, God is here. And we're going to be still and draw in close. And Lord, we pray as we just sit here in your presence right now for your Holy Spirit to move. I say, come Holy Spirit and fall afresh. God, we, we've had so much going on in, in our world and in our life right now, but we stop and acknowledge that you are still God, you are still King, you, you, you love us, you are with us, you've poured grace and mercy into us, you've guaranteed that you'll never leave us, you've guaranteed an eternity with you, you've forgiven our sins, you've set us up with your Holy Spirit to empower and live for you. You deserve our love and loyalty this morning, God, and we just recommit to you afresh. May every person that we encounter this week see it clearly, 
see you through us. I pray that for us. Let's stand, church, and let's be still as we sing.